0: So great to be with all of you this weekend as we continue our journey through the extraordinary unfolding story of God and us. As we continue to journey through the Word of God and allow God to show us uh, the wonder of who He is and who we are and and how we, our lives, collide and, and, and in that process to discover more deeply than we can imagine the extraordinary and impossible grace and freedom in which we live. I don't know about you guys, but um, uh, do you happen to remember the very first time you ever really shared with another human being uh, what you believe, your faith, the gospel? I-, I distinctly remember the first time I did it. Uh, it was sometime uh, in the late middle school, early high school years, somewhere in there. Don't have a specific time placement, but I do remember the experience. Uh, I had been in church and was in a, a good, healthy little church and. Uh, we had been working through a series on how to share your faith, and so we did the, the little testimony thing you know where you, you write the before Jesus, my life was and then here 's how I came to Jesus, and then after Jesus, my life is now, and then you fill in the blank, and of course, in middle school, you have no idea what life before Jesus was, and you 're making stuff up about that and trying to figure out some cool testimony uh, that you can write, but you, you write it and, and, and you get some, some coaching on, on how to share your faith and then I remember we watched a video, uh, and the video ends uh, you know, with, with these teenagers, and then there's this car accident, and then they stand in line, and half of them are heading in line to go to hell, and the other half are heading in line to go to heaven, and then the people in line to go to hell are like, why didn't you tell me? And then the people in the line to go to heaven feel super guilty about not sharing their faith with the poor people going to hell, and then the video ends, and then you get sent out into your high school campuses to go share your faith. No legit I lived there, that's it. I mean, I look back down I'm like, really, but that's really what happened so um so I went out and there was this this kid at school, I still remember distinctly uh, he was. Uh, His ethnicity or heritage was Indian from India and he was born here in the U.S., but his parents were from India. And so he was a good friend. And so I thought, this is it. I mean, this is the person God has called me to, to share my faith. And so I, I, I prayed and I worked out the whole deal and the timing. And we finally got some time to sit and, and I, I pulled out the testimony, you know, shared, Hey, I want to share something important with you and shared my testimony and my story and my faith. And when we were done sharing, uh, it wasn't nearly as awkward as I thought sharing it. But the postman could never have guessed how awkward that would get. It went really badly. <laughs> I just want to tell you, it did not go well at all. Uh, he was like really, really, and started making a lot of fun of the whole thing and then proceeded over the next few weeks and, uh, to, to decide to demonstrate to me how insane it was that I would have shared this with him. Uh, he began an active pursuit of doing the opposite of what I shared with him about faith. He actually started, he, he would come to me and say, I have ordered a, a, a satanic Bible and I'm going to read it. So, so like I literally produced in this human being an active, zealous pursuit of hell, right? I mean, like, here's Jesus, and they're like, I'm going to hell, I'm gonna run as fast as I can, and I'm gonna show you how I do it. And so I came to conclude uh, early on after that neat experience that while some people share their faith and, and people either choose or don't choose, I share my faith, and I do such a poor job of it that people actively begin to pursue hell. And so I'm like, okay, I... I need to regroup significantly, and before I ever share my faith again, I have to figure out how to articulate the gospel in a way that will actually have some benefit to the human soul uh, and, and actually be helpful in the process and so I really became paralyzed in many ways in my evangelism by the reality that I didn't have the competency, uh, the ability, the, the know-how on, on how to really develop and, 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 and declare the realities of the gospel. And I think the truth is that many of us live in a state uh, of paralysis uh, as we consider sharing our faith. And we, what we're paralyzed by is that we're paralyzed by, by this reality uh, that, that we are uncertain of the outcome, right? Uh, we, we are paralyzed by the uncertainty of the outcome of sharing our faith. So if I share my faith, how will it go? And if it goes well, well then good, but what if it doesn't? What if I I mess it up? What if I don't get it right? And then what happens if the person I'm sharing with does not respond well to that? And that's exactly where I lived. But, But the reality is what we discover as we enter into the beauty and the depths of the story of God, the redemptive story of God, the gospel, we discover that this paralysis that we feel, this fear we have, uh, of not getting it right when we, when we actually display the reality of our faith to others is actually incredibly misplaced. We have that fear because we deeply misunderstand our calling from God and what it is we're actually made to do. We think one thing, but it's actually a completely other thing. And when we understand the freedom we have in the gospel, then our paralysis In living out the story of God in front of the human beings that we get to interact with, suddenly disappears, and we have a freedom we could not have imagined. We have really begun. The journey of discovering this freedom, as we've been traveling through the current letters that we're in. Right, so so we are with Paul. If you remember correctly, Paul has been traveling on multiple missionary journeys or church planting journeys, and most recently he's on his third journey. Uh, he's been in Ephesus. He was in Corinth in his second journey, and he's been writing letters to Corinth uh, in response to information that he's gained from them, and then a visit that he actually made to them. So. Uh, we are currently in Second Corinthians, which is the third letter that he writes to the church in Corinth. The first letter he wrote, he wrote in response to some information he gained about the way that the church was behaving outwardly, uh, despite the fact that they knew Christ and, and were gospel carriers. And so he wrote that first letter really practically very instructive, mostly in the outward expressions of our inward faith, right? So what he said in the first letter essentially was, since you know Jesus, why are you living this way? He did not say, if you want to make Jesus happy, you better live this way. That's not what Paul did. He simply asked the question and unpacked in that first letter, since you know Jesus, how would this outward expression match that reality? It makes no sense. And so it was a letter of a lot of practical outward behaving type of things just calling us into examining what we really say we believe and are we actually living that out right and then the the second letter he wrote is a, a very severe letter in response to some hurtful things that happened on a visit that he made to Corinth uh, and a preceding uh, piece of information he gained and now this third letter second Corinthians he writes very differently than the first letter because he writes this letter really unpacking the inward beautiful realities that the gospel describes to us about who we are and why we are and how that works. And there will be some outwardness to this letter, but for the most part it is dealing with the inward realities of our faith. And so Paul is writing in preparation for a visit he's going to make to Corinth, and he wants to kind of get them on on the same page so that the second visit doesn't go as badly as the first one did. And that's where we've been at. And, and how, how has Paul begun with us? It is as though he has taken us and he has absolutely immersed us in this beautiful reality of grace, right? I mean, if you've been around at all, we've been traveling through this letter, we have been immersed in the wonder of grace. What grace? God's grace toward us, in his rescue of our soul, his redemption of our future, his restoration of our purpose, uh, his love for us even when we were his enemies, just the grace, the overwhelming, impossible grace that we have been shown in the very fact that we have been made alive in Christ. And then out of that, uh, his grace uh, poured out of us and extended to others, and then in so doing, our own grace empowered by the Spirit, given to others, We've watched this unfold, and most recently, we've landed in a space in 2 Corinthians where Paul is now describing uh, where all this is coming from, and and he said to us, guys, don't you get it? You, you who know Christ, are the aroma of Christ to the world. Remember, that's where we, we landed last time, that we are the carriers of the beauty of Christ to the world. And he didn't describe that in a passage in saying, since you have Christ, you better be the aroma of Christ. He didn't do that at all. He didn't make it an issue of action. He made it an issue of identity. He said, no, no, since you have Christ, you are the aroma of Christ. You don't have to go do it. You are the aroma of Christ because you have Christ in you. And, and and He He made it so definitive in this journey we have with Jesus. He created such wonder and freedom that he actually ended by saying: look, this is so absolute in your identity that the longer you travel, the more things are happening in you that are transformative that make you more like Christ. He didn't say, do these things to transform. He said, do you know you're being transformed? That's very different. Let's grab our Bibles and let's be reminded before we travel into the next extraordinary section of 2 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to go to verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. We've been here before, this is where we were last weekend, and here's what it says. 2 Corinthians 3.17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, Right? So that's where we landed. And it's important for us to be grounded in the context of this section of Scripture because what Paul is about to do is tie us to this context. So if we don't catch ourselves grounded in the context of where we've just come from, the grace of God given to us, the grace of God given through us, our grace given to others, and all this because of the result of being made alive in Christ and becoming the aroma of Christ to the world, right? That this is our ministry. If we don't stand in that context, we will not grasp what Paul is about to do. So here we are. We stand here. You and I, if we know Christ and have the Spirit of God, we are the aroma of Christ to the world because we have Christ And he will make himself known in us and through us, right? And we are being transformed into a greater version of that as he works in us to do what he's promised. How awesome is that? And now look what he says. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Okay, so whenever you see in Scripture, in fact, whenever you see in any sentence or hear in any conversation the word therefore, you ought to immediately ask yourself what came right before it, right? Because that's the point of the word therefore. Have you ever had somebody start a sentence this way? They bump into you in the lobby and they go, therefore, how are you? (laughs) Nobody does that, right? Can you imagine being at work, you're sitting in your cubicle, and a coworker walks over, it's about lunchtime, and they walk over, lean over your cubicle and go, therefore do you want to go to lunch? Nobody does that. Why not? Because if you say, therefore, and you fill in a sentence, automatically there is an assumption that there should have been something before the therefore, right? Because the therefore is saying, since I said this other thing, in light of that, in view of that, this is now true. And so Paul says, therefore, so automatically we need to go, what what, what just happened? And what just happened? Paul reminded us of our identity in Christ as the aroma of Christ and that our ministry is to walk around and be who we are in Christ and that he will make himself beautiful through us. And in that process, some will receive that as life upon life, and some will receive that as the stench of death. That's what he just told us. So he goes, therefore, in view of that, in view of this calling that has been given to us by whom? By the mercy of God. That's what he just said there. So it's not even something... You figured out or I figured out something we uh, were, were given out from, a, from an outsider perspective. God saying to us, go do these things. It is literally because of his mercy to us, we have this ministry. So let me connect that for you. Here's what Paul's saying. This ministry we have to be the aroma of Christ to the world is only possible because we have received the mercy of God in our own soul. You see, you are only the aroma of Christ. I am only the aroma of Christ because I have Christ, and I only have Christ because of the mercy of God. So he literally says, you only have this ministry because you are the recipient of the mercy of God. So it is by God, for God, that this is even possible. And therefore, since we know all of this, we do not lose heart. Now, why would he say, do not lose heart, right? Let's think about when we use that statement, because it's important. We shouldn't just read over these things like they're just uh, sentences in a book, and we're just reading. Uh, When do you use the word, you know, we should not lose heart? Now, think about this. Have you ever been on the beach? It's a Florida sunny day, Uh, late April, quiet breeze, 76, 77, humidity's low, 90, 93, 94%. Uh, so it's, it's like a perfect day here. You're, you're laying on the beach. The waves are crashing. You have the book that you've been meaning to read forever. You're on chapter four, and it's better than you thought it would be. It's better than you thought it would be. The, the, the day couldn't be better. You've just checked the weather app, and it said there's no rain in the forecast. Everything's looking great. The beach isn't too full. People spread out decently. Nobody's blaring loud music, and you're laying there. Can you imagine the person next to you leaning over and saying, I just want to say, don't lose heart. (laughs) No. No. (laughs) Don't lose heart. I know. I know. You're laying here on the beach on a perfect day, reading the perfect book in the perfect environment. Don't lose heart. No, we don't do that. We use the word don't lose heart when something is not going the way we want it to when things are not working out the way we thought they should, when things are not playing out the way we anticipated they would, and it is a weary exercise, then we say to one another, oh, let us not lose heart. Because I know it's hard, but don't lose heart. So Paul is setting us up here, setting the the Corinthians up here for a beautiful display of the power of the gospel and the way it shapes our lives in the everyday world in which we live that can sometimes become difficult. And so he's saying, in view of the ministry you've been given to be the aroma of Christ and since it's by the mercy of God and since he's promised he will do the transforming in you, let us now not lose heart as we fail the realities of the world. Now, Paul is going to do something here and this is one of the things I love so much about the letters that Paul writes and the way that the Spirit of God inspires him. Look at this, verse two. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Now it's an interesting sentence to come right after the well then we will not lose heart, because you would expect the sentence after, we will not lose heart to be a sentence about how hard things are, but he doesn't go there immediately. The first thing Paul does is he goes like this. Hey guys, listen, when we came down to you, me and and the other guys, when we came down to you, we, we abandoned all manipulative, deceptive, disgraceful ways of bringing the gospel to you. We, we, didn't, we didn't use cunning and, and strategically try to lay the gospel in just the right ways to use the emotional realities of the crowd to try to stir things up so that you would respond to the gospel and follow us. We certainly did not tamper with the gospel in order to make it more attractive to you or have you respond to it in a more likely way. Why is Paul doing this? See, this is what I love about Paul's letters is that God is using Paul to simultaneously write an ordinary letter to ordinary people about ordinary circumstances. And yet simultaneously use that very ordinary letter to ordinary people about ordinary circumstances to display some of the most extraordinary, wondrous things about the gospel. Paul is writing in response to some things he got from Corinth, right? Remember, the Palestinian Jews who now had embraced the gospel had traveled up to Corinth from Jerusalem, and they were trying to establish a ministry in Corinth, and they wanted to gain a following in Corinth. And so the church there had a deep respect for Paul. And so in order to gain the respect they wanted from the church and to extract the resources they needed to become the leaders of that church, they felt the best way was to undermine the work that Paul had done. Done among the Corinthians. And this is where the result came in that the Corinthians made accusations toward Paul. They asked accusing questions. And one of those accusations among the many was that they accused Paul of being strategic and deceptive in his bringing of the gospel. That he had created a gospel that was a Pauline gospel, uh, uh, Paul specific, that he had changed the gospel to better fit uh, making his way the best way and to cause the people to want to follow Jesus so that they would follow Paul. That he used cunning and strategy and the emotions of the people of Corinth to play their emotions and get them to conform and convert to the gospel that he wanted them to. This is what he had been accused of. So Paul is simultaneously in this letter going like this. I'm gonna speak against that accusation I am going to remind you church of Corinth that I did no such thing and none of the people that were with me did any such thing and he has every reason to remind them of that because when he came he did the exact opposite. And he's, all he's doing here is he's bringing back to memory for them do you remember when I came? Did I use cunning among you? Oh yeah, that's why I made all those tents. That was super fun. Did I, did I pop in and pop out on my little Learjet? No, 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 I didn't do that either. I came and hung out with you guys. I worked among you. I, I, I cared for my own needs so that you wouldn't have be, be burdened by me. And when I brought the gospel, let's revisit what I brought. Well, I brought the gospel in its clear, pure form. I didn't change anything. I didn't shape anything. I didn't do it disgracefully. I didn't do it cunningly. I didn't do it strategically. I didn't shape it. I didn't tamper with it. I brought to you exactly what it was, and I will keep bringing to you exactly what it is. Do you see what Paul's saying? He's saying, guys, when I came, I brought you the gospel. Nothing more, nothing less. I brought you the gospel. And now, after defending his position, he's gonna use that defense not to lift himself up, but to bring to us an extraordinary truth about the gospel, about the calling of God on our lives that sets us free from the fears we often live in and the paralysis we have as we live our lives among the world and try to figure out how to bring our faith to bear. Watch, watch. And even if, verse three, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Wow. What has Paul just done? He has just given us, given the church in Corinth, reminded the church in Corinth of his understanding and view of how the world works. He's just given us a secret about how things work in invisible places that we can't imagine. You see, we believe secretly that we bring to the table our competency, our ability, our skill sets, our our learnedness, our, our revelation of the gospel then we bring it to the table for God and then we, we deliver it for him and then it has great impact on people's lives. And if we do it in a competent manner, then the results are the right outcomes. People come to follow Jesus. They are converted, they are convinced and they follow Jesus. And if we bring the wrong competency, if we are incompetent in our abilities, then people are not convinced and not converted and then we have blown it and we have let God down. And here's what Paul just said to us. When you bring the gospel to the table, the result that that gospel has on the hearts and minds of people have nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with you. Because I got news for you, you can tweet this. We're incompetent. Tweet it. We're incompetent. We don't have the competency to bring the gospel to the table in such extraordinary ways with such articulate manner that any human being, no matter the blindness in which they live, will suddenly realize the beauty of God because of our wonder and they will pursue Jesus. We just don't have that competency. I don't, you don't, none of us do. Any competency we bring to the table is the result of the mercy and grace of God in us anyway. And so it is his work anyway, even when we're doing it. But what Paul is saying here is this that what keeps people from responding to the gospel when the gospel is brought without cunning and without without tampering and without watering down, what keeps people from the gospel is not the competency of the deliverer. It is the principalities and powers in dark places that are blinding those that do not know Jesus from ever seeing the wonder of God. And you and I cannot overcome that. In the hearts of people. But who can? Who can? Christ can overcome. Has he not overcome in your life? Has he not in mind? You see, I am not immune to this exact sentence that once when I was perishing, I too was blinded by the God of this world from the beauty of the gospel. But by God's grace, because of his great love, he made me alive in Christ and overcame what I could not and what the deliverer of the gospel to me could not. Now, was it through the delivery of the gospel that he awakened me? Absolutely. What wonder is that, that a human being could participate in my coming to know Jesus, but that human being did not pull it off. That was an act of God. And only he can overcome what blinds those who do not know Jesus. Now, here's what Paul's saying. You see, he's developing the case that ordinary case to say I I wasn't strategic, I just brought the gospel by saying this. I just brought the gospel to you. I wasn't after anything. I didn't use cunning or strategy. I brought the good news of Jesus. And those who did not respond, they are of no concern of mine in trying to develop a following. What he's saying is, I didn't come with the intent to convert or convince. I came with the intent to display and demonstrate. There's a huge difference. It is not our calling to convert or convince any human being of who Jesus is. It is our calling to make beautiful to every human being who Jesus is through our life and our words so that God can do whatever he sees fit to those human beings in awakening them with the beauty of who he is. And Paul's saying, when I came to you, I didn't come to try to water down the gospel or strategize with the gospel to convince or convert you. I came to show you the gospel as it is in its pure form. And for those that did not respond, that is of no concern of mine because they are, if they are veiled, not veiled by my incompetency, They are veiled by the God of this world. And only the God I serve can overcome that. And I am a servant of that God. Now watch. Paul's now going to paint for us the beauty of what this all means. Look at this. For what we proclaimed, verse 5, is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Wow, that's so awesome. See what Paul just did? He says, listen, when we came to you, we didn't come to you to try to proclaim ourselves. We didn't come to you to try to bring a gospel that would cause you to follow us. We came to you to proclaim Christ and not ourselves. And in fact, what did we proclaim ourselves as? As your servants on behalf of Christ. This is a beautiful picture of what the church should look like. Folks, what Paul is showing us here through his own life and through the revelation of the Spirit of God is this that when we come to know Christ and we receive the fullness of the glory of Christ because we realize that we have been made awake and alive in Christ by the mercy of God, that we have had our souls rescued, that we have had our futures redeemed, that we have had our purpose restored, that we are full of Christ and we are the aroma of Christ and we are being transformed day in and day out by the mercy of God into glory upon glory upon glory and this is a work of God and where God is, there is freedom when all of that is true for us, then here's what Paul says. We come to you with no need for anything from you. We don't need you to convert. We don't need you to be convinced. We just come to show you Jesus. And we do it by serving you as he served us. We are supposed to be the servants of the world. Notice that Paul did not say here, We proclaimed not ourselves but Christ and us servants of God. He said, and us servants of you. We have been made the servants of the world to serve them on behalf of Christ so that they might see the beauty of Christ. And when we serve the world, if we serve them well, we serve them with grace, we don't judge them. We don't condemn them. We don't, we don't reject them. We don't stand in disdain of them. We don't look at the world and go, oh, you you do that on Friday night. Oh, your relationship's that way. Oh, you see the world that way. Oh, you vote for those people. Oh, how sad. You are just so blinded and demonic. And, and, and here's the deal. Most often that is exactly the attitude that the world gets from us, and, and they don't get it from you know, we're not that mean here at Churches Like Mosaic, we just do it s- sort of with the body language, you know. Oh, yeah. i not actually say I hate that, but I don't even know what to do with that. We gotta, we, gotta, we gotta get done with that stuff, and we gotta engage the world in the identity that we've been given with the ministry that we've been given, which is this, that we come and we come to serve. We come to serve you. What is it you need? And how can we make that a place that's good for you? When, when the world thinks of the people of Jesus, they ought to think of those who serve them. And then, as we serve the world, we will gain accolades. I, I guarantee you. That already happens here at Mosaic, right? We serve the foster care system in our city. We gain lots of accolades from that. I can hardly go anywhere now in our city without some person in our city that has some version of authority. Uh, You're you're the lead pastor of Mosaic. Oh my gosh, that church is awesome. You guys serve our city so well. So we we gain this reputation in in the adoption world, the foster care world, the the widow world now. We're beginning to engage there. The human trafficking world, the special needs world. uh, Any world that's hard and dark and difficult, we have engaged well. And then guess what comes our way? Accolades. Oh, you guys are so awesome. And if when those accolades come, we begin to forget ourselves and say, oh, we are, we are a pretty awesome church. <laughs> we do pretty awesome stuff. Then we have completely forgotten ourselves. This is what Paul's telling us. We did not come to proclaim ourselves to you, but only Christ. And when we proclaim Christ to you, we proclaimed ourselves only as your servants for Christ and for his glory. When the accolades come because we are serving well, then we direct those accolades to the one who served us well and who invited us to serve on his behalf. And then we become who we are meant to be and who we were made to be and we live in the freedom of who we actually are. Now, Paul is not done. <laughs> you go, that's enough. There's more and it's so good. Look at this. Paul ends now in this little paragraph, the same place I think he will always end, the same place he always begins. In fact, it's the same place every author of Scripture always seems to begin and always seems to end. They always begin with God's mercy and God's glory and God's grace and they end with God's mercy and God's glory and God's grace. It always begins with God and it always ends with God and it never begins with us and it never ends with us. We are always caught right in between God's grace and God's grace. Right in between God's mercy And God's mercy, right in between God's power and God's power. And look, he does it here. Watch. For God who said, verse 6, let light shine out of darkness. That's out of creation, right? Let there be light, he said. Look at this, look at this. Has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then there's a period. See, you would think if it was an American written Bible, it would say, and since he did that, now go do these things. But it doesn't. It just stops right there. It's like Paul saying this. I'm telling you all of this because remember, Christ has shined his light into you. So you have the knowledge of God in Christ. That's it. That's it. What I love about our calling here, what I love about it is it is not an issue of active behavior. It is an issue of identity. You are in Christ and you have the light of Christ in you and he did that. So, go now and live your life and he will be the aroma that bleeds out of you. What a free way to live. What a beautiful way to live. You know what I begin to realize as I see what Paul is doing here? Is he's moving our job description. And look what he's moving it from. He's moving it from, it is your job and my job to go out and convince the world of who Jesus is and to follow him. And he's moving it to this. This is actually our job every day, convince your soul of what you already know, of who Jesus is, and of his grace and love, so that you will follow him. That's actually our job. Your job and mine is to make sure that we are preaching the gospel to ourselves every day, so that the gospel is good news to us, such good news to us, That in every circumstance, in every relational dynamic, with every resource that we face, what bleeds out of us is the good news of the gospel. And then we will live as the aroma of Christ, and people will see us. And to some, it will mean nothing. And to others, it will mean everything. And we are not here to convince them. Should we have an articulate, convincing display of the hope that is within us? Yes, of course we should. One, because if you can't convince yourself of it, if you don't have a clarity of the gospel. And two, because Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, always have an answer for the hope that is within you. Because if you are living as the aroma of Christ, expect that people will ask you. And part of being the aroma of Christ is telling them about Jesus. And what if they reject you? Well, you won't be the first and you won't be the last. Because they are, as we once were, blinded by the God of this world. And it is not your job to convince or convert anyone. It is your job to display and demonstrate Christ to everyone. It is not your job or mine to convince or convert anyone to Jesus. It is our job to display the beauty of Christ to everyone and let God do what He does. And when people reject you, don't you play the game that goes, oh, the Bible said you rejected me because you're blinded and the de- demons have you and you just aren't being saved and you're just going to die because you don't know that. You and I are not gods. We can't do that. There is evidence all over Scripture that we all play a part in someone's spiritual journey. And so maybe you're just sowing seed and they seem like they're rejecting, but they're not really at all. Maybe you're just watering and it seems like they don't like you, but maybe that's just part of their journey. Maybe you're about to reap the harvest, or maybe they are genuinely so blinded that they will perish because they are perishing. You don't know which one it is, nor do I, so you don't get to be judge, jury, and executioner. Here's what you get to be the image bearer of God, the aroma of Christ, the active human display of the gospel, the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus for good works prepared in advance for you to do. So what is our job? Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Gain greater clarity of the gospel so that it stays good news to you. Then, gather together regularly. Do you know why we gather here? Do you know why? I asked the question and the first thing in your head was, yeah, obviously I know why, but then when you think about it, you're like, how would I answer that question? I don't actually know why. That's odd because there's so many possible reasons, isn't there? And if we're not careful, if we don't know why we gather, here's why we'll end up gathering. Ready? We'll gather together so we can extract resources from you so that we can pay the lights to keep the, pay the bills to keep the lights on and build bigger buildings so we can gather more of you so we can extract more resources so we can pay more lights and build bigger buildings so we can gather more of you so we can extract more resources so we can build bigger buildings and have more lights so we can gather more of you so we can extract more resources and we won't even know we're doing it. We'll think we're coming together to sing and to have great time but actually when we really look at it, we'll be getting together to do nothing and that's that's easy to do if we don't know why we gather. So allow me to remind you why we gather. We gather because we must preach the gospel first to ourselves. And then we must preach the gospel to each other. Because every week that you go out into the world, it is easy to lose heart. Because when you bring to the table the gospel, many will not respond well. And what Paul started us with, remember how he started us? Since this is our ministry, therefore, We will not lose heart, but it's easy to lose heart because we will think it is our job to convince the world to follow Jesus, and when they don't, we're going to be discouraged. And we need to gather together to remind one another it ain't your job to convince the world. You're just feeling discouraged and losing heart because you thought it was your job to convince the world, and they are unconvinced. But it is your job to convince your own soul every day. And it is our job to convince one another every day of what we already know so that when we go into the world, we are not ready to convince them of anything. We are ready to show them everything, to show them Jesus because we are so convinced ourselves that it bleeds out of us like an aroma. And so we are the ministry of God, the aroma of Christ to the world. Now that. Is freedom. Let's pray. God, thank you for this extraordinary unpacking in Second Corinthians of who we are in you and the joy that it is that we have to live our lives confident, not in our own competency, but confident in your story, confident in what you've done in us, confident in what you'll do through us, confident in the transformation you will affect in us over time, confident that we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works you have prepared in advance for us to do. Confident that as we gather together, we are stirring one another up toward love and good deeds. Confident that when we succeed at sharing the gospel well with our life and our actions and with our words, that the glory of that will be yours for the taking and confident that when we mess it up and we blow it and we can't articulate it well and that we're asked questions we can't answer and the person laughs at us and thinks we're completely insane that we do not have the power to thwart any story of yours. We do not have the power to cause any human being to with zealous wonder pursue hell. We, we only have the privilege of participating in the beautiful story of redemption because you've led us. Help us to participate without fear. Without fear of failing. Without fear of blowing it. Help us not to participate in active, strategic, uh, disgraceful selling of the gospel to try to convince or convert human hearts to follow in emotion and insanity, but instead help us to regularly become so utterly convinced of the beauty of the gospel in us that it just bleeds out of every word we speak and every thing we do. And in the areas in our daily lives where it feels so discouraging because we are not seemingly the aroma of Christ, we are are bitter, mean, tired, exhausted, crazy people shouting at our kids and going nuts on our spouse and not knowing which way to turn. Remind us in those places that your grace was always enough and it will always be enough and that even in that your promise remains true that you will use what the enemy intends for our destruction to refine, to beautify, to strengthen our faith so that we might persevere in the story you have written for us. God, help us to recognize how free we are in you so that we would live that freedom out and make it beautiful to the world. Thank you. Thank you for your word, for your grace, for your mercy, for your power, for your story, and for your love. We love you, Jesus.